All right, let's get going. <clears throat> Turn with me, if you would, please, to Leviticus chapter 11, verse 1. We're in a new division in our study of Leviticus. We're looking at the fact that holiness is essential for dwelling with our God. That <clears throat> when the Lord redeemed Israel from bondage in Egypt, he didn't just leave them as he found them there, he now is instructing them just exactly what it means to have the holy God dwelling in the midst of his people in the tabernacle. And now it's incumbent upon those who have this new relationship with the God of heaven to be very careful how they live, how they talk, how they eat, what they wear. I mean, the Lord starts dealing with every single aspect of the life of the Israelite. I remember when I was first saved, I had no idea what the Lord was going to do in my life. All I knew was I'm I'm a sinner. All I knew was Christ died for my sin. All I knew was, trust him as your Savior. And I did. And then it began. A lifetime of reading his word and figuring out, by God's grace, day by day, what new thing I was going to have to change. What uh, new knowledge of God's greatness uh, impacted me next. And little by little, we go through the process of what the scripture calls child training, because that's what we are, spiritual children. And it's still going on. And those of you who are more elderly than me, there are a few of you, you know just exactly what I'm talking about. It It never stops. Thank the Lord. So now we have in this section, our holy priests are teaching God's people discernment. To be able to, as chapter 10 said, to separate between the holy and the unholy, or the holy and the profane, between clean or pure, and unclean or impure. This is what we have to do in our lives today. And we'll see some principles that we can apply directly from this passage. Uh, And it, it really is life transforming and it is something that needs to occupy our full attention as we apply our hearts to change in the way that God intends. All right, laws of purity and impurity then are essential for worship. We see in Leviticus, we're going to get to uh, to Leviticus 16 shortly, uh, the Day of Atonement. And of course, that emphasizes our overall salvation from sin. This is what we would call passing from death to life, from Uh, judgment to full salvation. But then there are these 
things that we have to care about in our personal lives. And these we would analogously to ourselves say, this is sanctification. And here now we have a lot of different stipulations that are given to us uh, starting in Leviticus 11. God intended to show the Israelites through the laws of purity and impurity the necessity of a close personal examination of every detail in life. And everything that we experience uh, in life has a a possibility for making us pure, more pure, or more impure than we we, uh, should be. And so even in these minute details of life, God wants his people to be able to make these discerning choices between what is going to allow them to have close fellowship with God and worship him as they ought, or uh, the things that will disqualify them from worship. And so, especially in these laws of cleanness and uncleanness, we see that especially uh, the things associated with the beginning of life, especially with procreation, right straight through to the things that uh, are associated with the end of life. Death, dead things, these, uh, uh, these two sort of bookends, so to speak, uh, from the beginning of life to the end of life, imply that this applies to everything in between those two. In other words, every aspect of our life. Anything in life could make a person impure. So, we're going to take a look now at uh, what we can eat. Pure and impure animals, fish, and birds. And there's really basically nothing more basic than what we eat. How many of you know what you're going to have for lunch today? Yeah. Oh, boy. I hope, I hope you guys have got a big feast that you yourself are making or that you yourself are paying for, giving your, your wife a nice rest from cooking and, and uh, you know, she's going to have a special day uh, where she's the queen. When I was a kid, my mom used to watch a show, Queen for a Day. Anybody? Who remembers that show? All right, there's some people old enough to remember that show. Queen for a Day. Yes, that's, that's what the ladies are looking forward to, being queen for the day. And basically, sustaining life demands food, as we learned in Pastor Chris's message. And uh, you're, you're probably anticipating what you're going to have even today. Uh, in our society, food has gotten to be kind of a big thing. And so some people refer to themselves as foodies. I think we used to call these people gourmets, but now that's a passe term, and they're foodies. And they, they seem to make it their great delight in life to try the next new restaurant or the next prized menu item or the next thing they can cook at home. 
We have people, as a matter of fact, I ran across one of my students, former students, not long ago, and I said, well, what are you doing these days? He uh, got a master's degree in theology, and now he does kitchen remodeling. I guess the Lord's will was not for him to be in the ministry, uh, but he has another ministry. I said, oh, that's interesting. Um, you know, basically, what, uh, what range of pricing do you have for your kitchen remodeling? He said, oh, our kitchen remodeling averages about $150,000 per remodel. And I was out <clears throat> at a coffee shop with a friend of mine, and uh, I almost choked on my coffee. <laughs> I thought, is it, I, as a matter of fact, I asked him, is it possible to spend $150,000 on your kitchen? He looked at me, and he smiled, he said, oh, they go way higher than that. Uh, wow. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, so he's telling me about these cabinets. Uh, oh, floors, kitchen, uh, kitchen floors made out of Brazilian cherry and cabinetry made out of exotic woods and these appliances uh, like a sub-zero freezer that will keep your food fresh for months and years because I think the thing runs about minus 40 degrees or something like that and elaborate gas ranges and, and they're known as gourmet kitchens and uh, it's supposed to be for ladies who really get into their cooking well I hope they do and I hope they enjoy uh, their kitchens that are worth uh, you know, not more than my house, but you know, it's getting on towards the price of my house. Anyway, those are foodies. The Israelites had to be careful not to eat something that made them impure. Now, why were some animals clean and others unclean? Ah, the $64,000 question. Why, oh, why? What was there about one animal that was clean and another animal that was unclean. Well, if you take a look through the commentary literature, you're going to come across some possibilities that people have suggested. First of all, some people would say, well, these were hygienic considerations. Pork can carry trichinosis. And if you get trichinosis, you are in a heap of hurt. But, hey, a lot of my buddies, they all like to hunt wild hogs. And wild hogs can carry much more than trichinosis. Uh, not long ago, I saw in the paper that a guy had uh, cut himself as he was uh, field dressing his hog. And uh, something got in the wound. I forget what the disease is called. And it, it put him flat on his back in the hospital for days, I, it was he was very seriously ill. So somebody would say, see, stay away from pigs. But wait a minute, beef can be contaminated with salmonella. And it's an example of an animal that divides the hoof and chews the cud. All right, so 
Let's begin in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Thankfully, the deer is like this. So deer is a clean animal. And all you hunters are saying, amen. But you, so the Israelite could, could have eaten uh, a deer. Nevertheless, those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, it's unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but it does not chew the cud, it is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. Now, obviously, you could touch a camel because people rode camels, but you couldn't touch the dead body of a camel. That would make you unclean. All right, so, you know, we say to ourselves, well, you know, is, is this a hygienic thing? God knew that only certain kinds of animals were uh, going to, to make you sick and others were going to be beneficial for your health. I even read one person that said pork is like putting rocket fuel in a, uh, in a plane. It would burn the engine up. Well, he doesn't know much about planes because if you put rocket fuel, which is kerosene, <laughs> in a plane that's supposed to work on gasoline, it wouldn't run. It would ruin it. All right, so so much for that part of the uh, example. Uh, Anyway, no, you know, you can see other studies have been done. There's nothing wrong with pork. And and we know you have to cook pork up to a certain internal temperature before you eat it. It kills any bad germs in there, just like you do with beef. If you want to eat raw or pretty much raw beef, you're taking your chance, you're going to get salmonella or some other thing too. And by the way, if this is the right view of these uh, passages on cleanness and uncleanness, what does that mean? Does God not care about our health today? Because in Acts chapter 10, we're all familiar with the story of Peter going to speak with, Anana, uh, with um, <clears throat> Cornelius, the centurion, And he was a pagan, and Peter had never associated with pagans. Uh, By the first century, these laws of cleanness and uncleanness were applied to people like the Romans. Uh, And so Romans were dogs. That's That's the terminology that Jews used to describe anybody who was outside of the of the nation of Israel. They were They were dogs. You were to stay away from them. They were impure. They were unclean. And so Peter uh, is just about 
to be invited by Cornelius to come and speak to him about salvation. And so the Lord tells, the Lord gives him a, a nice uh, vision. And there's a sheet let down from heaven with all kinds of unclean animals on the sheet. And the Lord says to Peter, Peter, arise, kill, and eat. What does Peter say? He says, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. Not going to do that. Well, Peter doesn't know, but things are changing. And the ethnic purity of the nation of Israel stood them in good stead when they were going in to conquer the land of Canaan and to cause there to be a separation between the Israelites and and pagans on the face of the earth for Israel's good. But now, something that had never entered into Peter's mind is about to take place. The institution of the church, where Jews and Gentiles would be brothers and sisters in Christ. And so before Peter is even going to want to go and speak with Cornelius, he needs to be shown, nope, there is no such thing anymore as uncleanness and cleanness in what you eat. All right, I'll get to this. I'm coming back to this idea that this is to teach separation within a particular historical time frame. And now in our dispensation, these laws have been superseded. Number two, the avoidance of animals that pagans used in false worship. But, you know, now that we know quite a bit about how Canaanites worshipped, we understand they used cattle, sheep, goats, clean animals in their worship. So this is not likely. Number three, the moral symbolic explanation. This gets a little bit sketchy in interpretation, but supposedly the unclean animals behaved in a way that became symbolic of good moral actions or symbolic of bad actions that were wrong. Okay, so when you consider these, you have to go back a ways in interpretation to get this view. But, uh, you know, take a look, for instance, at a cow, and it's chewing its cud. Well, the interpreters from pretty long ways ago would say, see, that's a beautiful illustration of meditating on the Word of God. You're, you're bringing the, the food back up, you're chewing on it some more, and that's, that's a good action, so that's why a cow is a clean animal. It shows us the importance of meditation. Well, that's getting pretty, what, imaginative, I guess you would say, when it comes to interpretation. Uh, Conversely, pigs wallow in the mud, and that's symbolic of the filthiness of sin. And so some commentators have suggested that it was the behavior of the animal, did it... uh, symbolize something good, or did it symbolize something bad? Not likely. 
Fourth, what was usually eaten? And the line of reasoning here goes, well, the Israelites had a lot of cows, had a lot of sheep, had goats, but they, they didn't raise pigs. Well, you know, pigs were not unknown, that certainly. Uh, but, but this view says that uh, what, what Israelites normally ate then became the clean animals and the ones that they didn't have around. These were the unclean animals. Well, why would, why would the Lord say, okay, you normally eat this so they'll be clean? Where's the sense in that? If they, they were already eating all these things and didn't eat the other animals, then why, was there, why were there laws necessary for clean and uncleanness? Not likely in my mind. Number five, we'll call this the will you obey whether you understand the purpose of the command or not. Here, for instance, you have what us parents have all, you know, dealt with, laws that we teach our children, rules, household rules. You must do this. You must never do that. All right? So from the time my kids were little, for instance, I had a rule. If you're playing with the soccer ball and it goes across the busy road where cars and and buses go too fast, uh, and it goes into the neighbor's yard, call me, I will go across the, the street, and I will retrieve the ball for you. But under no circumstances are your feet to touch that road. Stay in our yard. Well, do they fully understand? I mean, they're just little. Do they understand the, the purpose why I have that, that rule? Mm. Apparently not, because I hadn't formulated the rule very long until our uh, oldest son, who at the time was about three, was across the yard. I looked out the window, and there he was across the the street in my neighbor's yard getting his soccer ball, and uh, he disobeyed the, the regulation. Okay, so he didn't understand maybe the full intent of why I gave that legislation, and uh, he thought it was okay to violate it. Uh, so here's the idea that, you know, God expected his people to obey him regardless of understanding the rationale behind why he gave the regulation. Hmm, that's possible. You know, to admit, I suppose there could be an element of that. But I don't think it's the best explanation Uh, What I think is the best explanation, which I'm calling my view, (laughs) is that the Lord was teaching his people principles of separation from the Canaanites in preparation for taking possession of the promised land. You see, the land that God gave his people had had centuries and millennia of particular cultural aspects of religion. Uh, Pastor Chris mentioned this morning uh, about how uh, the people in Canaan uh, overall worshipped Baal. 
has been going on not for a short amount of time, but for a very long time. Baal worship, because of the fact that Baal was supposedly the one who gave conception, fertility, uh, productivity of crops. Uh, Baal was to be worshipped for the benefit that accrued to the worshiper. In other words, people worshipped Baal for what they could get out of it. They thought, well, if we, if we worship Baal, he'll make us prosperous and we'll be very successful. And uh, so this is why we worship him. But when the Lord sent his people into Canaan, it was after literally hundreds and even a thousand or more years since God had told Abraham, the, you're, you're not, your, 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 ancestor, your, your children are not going to go into Canaan uh, until the iniquity of the Amorite, who stood for, of course, the entire Canaanite peoples there, the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet full. But when it is, they're going to go in and they're going to take the land. And we later find out, and when they do take the land, they're going to exterminate every last worshiper of Baal, every last man, woman, and child. Because if you allow any of them to survive, they are going to prove to be spiritually disastrous for you. Now, if we have these these legislative statutes for cleanness and uncleanness. God wants his people to be able to discern, okay, is this an animal I can eat or I can't eat? Why? In other words, in every aspect of life, we have to examine ourselves to make sure that what we're doing is proper, it's what God has commanded, that God is interested about the discerning choices we make in every single area of life. And if it's true in every single area of life, then certainly it's true when it comes to the, the persons I will fellowship with, the persons I will uh, be good friends with, the, the people I look to for models of worship. If I'm looking to pagans, that's going to be bad problems. And so God wants a discerning people. All right? Any questions about this? Anybody want to argue against my position? Yes, Jeff. Yeah, uh, basically what I'm arguing here is that when it was the case that Israel was about to go in and conquer Canaan, they were about to be immersed into a, a, in a culture that was basically uh, wicked in terms of their worship. In other words, can you imagine a, a place where 
you would have a, a Baal temple. And for inducement, for worshiping Baal, the advertisement would go out, well, come and worship Baal. And while you're here, you can have sexual intercourse with temple prostitutes. That would be an inducement for your typical wicked Canaanite person. Oh, boy, this sounds great. Let's go. And uh, this kind of thing, God wanted his people to realize, okay, they've been very used to making uh, decisions about whether they should uh, eat or not eat a particular thing. Uh, as a matter of fact, even in the clothing they wore, we'll see this coming up here in, other, in the next few chapters, they weren't supposed to wear clothing that was of mixed fiber content. Like, for instance, linen and wool mixed. Well, what's wrong with wearing a wool-linen blend? Or what's wrong with cotton-poly blend? Or uh, maybe you're a cyclist and you wear uh, material with viscous rayon and spandex mixed. It's a great combination. Wicks moisture away, super comfortable. Uh, but no, you know, the, the, every Israelite was supposed to wear clothing of only one type of fiber. What would the purpose of that be? Or an Israelite could plow his field with two oxen yoked together, but not an ox and a donkey or a horse. What was the purpose of that? And Paul even talks about in the New Testament, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He actually applies a mosaic stipulation in the Leviticus in terms of the, the purity and the carefulness we must exercise when it comes to what we do for the Lord and with whom we do it. That he wants, he wants believers participating with believers in the work of the ministry. And so these dietary regulations, I would argue, were given at a specific time in Israel's history, and they were intended to uh, demonstrate how important it was they stay separate from Canaanite idolatry when they got into the Promised Land. Does that answer your question? We're going to get to how this applies to us today. Hang on. Yeah. Okay. With, with the uh, slave-master relationship, there was a relationship that Israel couldn't get out of. And so uh, at that time, God didn't uh, consider that it was that, they, that the Israelites needed to be separate from their masters or from the, from the Egyptians because they, they couldn't. They were trapped. And uh, so the Lord does, does make sure that when uh, Jacob and his sons appear before Pharaoh, they may, the Lord tells them, now, when Pharaoh says, what's your occupation? 
be sure to say we are shepherds. Why? Because the Egyptians despised shepherds. And so God had it in mind that his people would be living in Goshen, uh, a good land, but separate from the Egyptians. And so that was the answer to Israel's separation from the Egyptians at that time in history. Uh, Then when it came time for them to conquer Israel, or the, the Canaan, the promised land, the situation was considerably reversed because now they were the victors. And the temptation would have been to adopt the ways of those into whose land they were going to to dwell. They needed to be very careful, very discerning, and to do exactly what the Lord was telling them to do. Can you imagine how difficult it would be to be instructed by Joshua, okay, you're going to go in, you're going to conquer, for instance, let's pick Jericho. When you go in, you are going to kill every single man, woman, and child in that city. Don't let anybody live. Now, picture that you are an Israelite, and you have a sword strapped on your, on your belt, and you're going to have to go into a house there in Jericho, and there's going to be a family with a man and his wife and their children, and you are going to have to kill every single one of them. Wow. That is horrendous to think about. That is the holiness of the God we serve. But of course, that doesn't, you know, the Lord hasn't told us, go and kill every single unbeliever you run across. Well, why? It's it's different time. It's a different dispensation. Today, God says, this is the acceptable day. This is the day of salvation. Christ said, I came not to to, uh, destroy, but to save. Turn from your wickedness. Trust me. And so we have to take care that we do our interpretation in light of where we are in God's relationship with his people within a particular historical situation that they were in. And then we have to say, well, for us, I don't know a Canaanite. You don't know a Canaanite either. You don't know a Baal worshiper. And our duty is not slay every person who's not uh, a saved individual. Our purpose is to preach the gospel and make sure that we don't get too close, buddy-buddy, with unbelievers. So that, for instance, God tells his people when they're about to go into Canaan, don't take their daughters for your sons. Don't let your sons marry their daughters. Don't make covenants with them. And so for us in these days, uh, Paul says, if you were to separate from every unbeliever, you'd have to go out of, out of the world. 
They're all around you. But don't get too close. Don't marry one, for instance. Don't, you know, there's possible multitude of, of various applications of this. All right. Well, also, Israel had to be careful uh, what sea creatures they ate. The sea creatures had to have fins and uh, scales. So verse 9 says, These you may eat of all that are in the waters. Everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or the rivers that does not have fins and scales, of the swarming creatures in the waters and of living creatures that are in the waters, these are detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh. You shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. So, for all of you who love shrimp, oh, sorry, if you'd lived back during these days, no shrimp for you. Edible birds. Some of these birds have rare Hebrew names. We're not sure exactly what they are, but we, even though we are not certain about their identity, when these, pet, when these laws were given, people understood exactly which birds were not okay. And if you were living back in those days, hopefully chicken was okay. I don't know. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think, I had, could I survive without chicken? I mean, I'd have to become a, a vegan or a vegetarian, I guess. But uh, no, that was, that was uh, also something they had to be careful of. Every single thing they did had to be very carefully examined. And there's a list given of these unclean birds, and Israel was to avoid those entirely. All right, we're out of time, so next week I'm going to first thing go ahead and talk about what application this has for us. We're going to look at Pauline stipulations uh, concerning the application of all these laws for our day. Are you looking forward to that? Me too. <laughs> I hope I can come up with some for next week. Yes, I, I, I will. Don't worry. All right, let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for your word, for the instruction that it is to us. We are thankful that we serve a holy God who is very exacting in stipulating every area of our lives, whether it's godly or ungodly, whether it's deleterious to our relationship with you or not. Help us to, to approve things that are excellent in our lives so that we would not mar our relationship with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.